0: As you're turning in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 2, let me ask you, what do you think in your estimation of things would be the worst possible thing that we could experience in this lifetime? Some people say death. I would say that's not even in the top 10 if we're a follower of Christ. So I'll tell you one that is Maybe the top of the list, maybe in the top three, um, kind of hard to quantify this uh, in, in some ways, but I think that one of the worst things that we could ever experience in this lifetime would be for God to go silent, to stop speaking, and for us To continue going through the motions like nothing at all has happened some would say perhaps our nation is already there but I simply cannot imagine anything worse than not hearing from God and feeling cut off this period of time in history that we're going to look at in first Samuel was a time in history where God was silent and it is a, it's a grueling time for me to imagine living in. Last week, we were introduced to Hannah, whose personal life was barren and filled with trouble at a time when the life of the nation was also spiritually barren and filled with trouble. And we saw how Hannah prayed to God for years that God would give her a son. And in return, she made a vow to give him back to God to serve God all the days of his life. And after many years of waiting, God did give her a son, and they named him Samuel. And in fulfillment of her vow, after Samuel was weaned, after he was old enough, she did this heart-wrenching thing, but she kept her vow to God. She took young Samuel back to the tabernacle at Shiloh. She dedicated him to the Lord, and she left him there to grow up in the service of the Lord under a priest named Eli. Now, for us to hear that young Samuel grew up in the tabernacle of God, serving the Lord there, sounds like a very pure and desirable situation for him to be in. But sadly, it was not only the nation that was corrupt, as we saw last week and as we saw in the book of Judges prior to that, it was also the tabernacle itself that had become corrupt. Corrupt. That same tabernacle that we studied about last year in our journey through the Bible, now, which was designated by God to be a holy place, had actually become a place of willful, ongoing sins committed by the priests who were serving in the tabernacle, the very ones who were ordained by God to be his representatives to the people. Now, at this time, Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests in the tabernacle. And yet, these verses begin to reveal the level of wickedness that Eli's sons were involved in. Let me just share some of these verses with you to help set the tone. And 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 3 that we're going to be in today are written in a rather like a tapestry. Throughout those chapters... There are dark threads that are woven in of the evil taking place. But alongside that, there are also some other threads that are woven in. So let me just skip through some of these verses that give us an idea of the spiritual condition of Eli's two sons, the priests in the tabernacle. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men or corrupt men. They did not know the Lord. Wow, how about that? Just right off the bat, the priests did not know the Lord. Stunning. Verses 22 and 23. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how that his sons and and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them. Why are you doing such things? For I hear about your evil dealings from all the people. Chapter 3, verse 13 says that his sons blasphemed God. Now, throughout the book of Judges and then again last week, as I said, we've seen the evil taking place in the nation. And now as we zoom in a bit closer, we get a glimpse of the evil taking place in the church and i use the word church just to put it in modern day terms it was the tabernacle of course so as we look at this picture we see these very dark brush strokes on the canvas And the background music if this were a movie would take a dark ominous tone we might be tempted to wonder where god is in all this because when things are at their darkest it is sometimes tempting to wonder where God is to wonder if he's still at work and how he could ever salvage anything good from such dreadful circumstances. But as I said, amidst all those dark brushstrokes that the sinful heart of man has placed on the canvas, God has also worked in some brushstrokes of hope and light to remind us that despite the current circumstances, God's plan of redemption is still very much at work. And and that's really the bigger picture that I don't want us to lose sight of. When I began this series, what was it, 18 years ago or something? A couple years ago? I said one of the things that I want to try to do as we go through the whole Bible is to trace God's theme of redemption from beginning to end. And we saw the very first prophecy in Genesis 3.15, about how God said He was going to send a Savior. He was going to send one who was going to make all this right in the end. And so now we've followed that through. And in these very dark times here, we have to pause and wonder, God, where are you? Are you still at work? Have you given up on these people that you call your own who have turned their back on you again and again and again? They're living in willful sin. God, have you abandoned them? Are you done with them? Well, I'm thankful to say that in the darkness, woven throughout all those verses of sin and corruption, <clears throat> we read verses like this in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. The boy, that is Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. 1 Samuel 2, 18. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 21. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. One more. Verse 19 of chapter 3, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And what we're meant to see here is even when things are at their darkest, God always has a man or a woman or a boy or a girl through whom he can work. You may remember the story of Elijah, the prophet, who was a powerful, powerful tool in the hands of God. And yet, Elijah once reached a place where he felt overwhelmed and outnumbered and discouraged and wanted to die. And he said in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, as he's talking to God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. Listen, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You ever feel that way? As far as Elijah could see, all hope was gone. There was no one left who was standing for God, but God responded by saying something that we all need to remember. In verse 18 of 1 Kings chapter 19, God said, if I can add this in, and I'm not adding anything to Scripture, I'm just saying it, it's almost as, as though God said, hey, pal, hey, pal, listen up. He said, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So again, What we're meant to see here in 1 Samuel is even when things are at their darkest, God always has faithful people who are still standing for him. But what we're also meant to see here is the contrast between Samuel and those around him. Young Samuel grew up in an environment that was filled with sin. And yet these verses are showing us the faithful, steady, progression of this boy's growth in the Lord despite his surroundings. And if this book had been written about our life instead of Samuel's, I wonder if it would be able to say Bill's office was filled with people who stole from the expense account and undermined the boss, but Bill remained faithful to the Lord. I wonder if it could say Most of the other students in Susie's school were involved in all kinds of immoral behavior and disobedience, but Susie continued to grow in the likeness of God. Even from Samuel's youngest years, his genuine heart for God caused him to stand out from those around him. And folks, listen, I know this sounds like a church cliche, like a thing that a pastor's supposed to say, but it's true. You and I, as followers of Christ, are still called today to be light in the darkness. We're called to stand out. We're not called to blend in. When our unsaved friends are filled with fear, we should be a source of comfort and hope for them. When those around us are clamoring for answers, they should be able to find the truth of God in us without ever darkening the door of a church building. Now, I'm not going to read through all the details of this, but towards the end of chapter 2, God sends a warning through an unknown person he's not named. He sends a warning of coming judgment against the house of Eli for allowing this wickedness to go on unchecked in the tabernacle. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were... Stealing from the sacrifices that the people brought to the Lord. They were changing the clear pattern of worship and sacrifices that God set forth in the tabernacle. And they were involved in some other really terrible things with the women who came to the tabernacle. Starting in verse 27 of chapter 2 and going to the end of that chapter, God says he's going to bring judgment on Eli and that both of his sons are going to die. On the same day so here's a snapshot of where things stand so far the nation has turned away from God now don't miss this they're still going through all the religious rituals but they're serving idols on the side hello I know we would never think of going through church rituals week after week and yet pursuing idols when we get out of here or even when we sit in here in our thoughts It's a battle, isn't it, folks? Come on. It's a battle for all of us. So the nation had turned away from God. The tabernacle had turned away from God. That place that was supposed to be set apart for God. The residence of the presence of God is now filled with greed and deceit and immorality. The priests have turned away from God and become corrupt. And one has to ask, how is God ever going to pull his people out of such a deep moral, spiritual nosedive? What means is God going to use to bring revival across the land? And the answer comes in a form that we would never anticipate. God says, Here's a little boy named Samuel who's learning how to minister before me. And we can't help but respond by saying, what good is a little boy in the midst of such overwhelming, widespread spiritual darkness? But just as we saw last week and just as we've seen many times in the Bible, God chooses the least expected ways to bring about his purposes. You remember when the massive crowds had followed Jesus out to hear him teach, and it was late in the day, and they grew hungry. The disciples looked around for food, but all they could find, all, all they could find was one little boy with his sack lunch. They brought him to Jesus, almost, I think, almost to emphasize the impossibility of the situation, and they said, "Here's a boy with five loaves and two small fish, but what good is that among so many?" What a huge contrast that was. Thousands and thousands of hungry people compared to one little boy's lunch. But impossible contrasts don't bother Jesus at all. In fact, it's in those moments that his greatest work can be displayed. When you and I have all the resources we need, who needs God? And I don't mean that literally, by the way, but that's how we think. You know, the Bible says, do not despise the day of small things. I I think that's true on a number of levels. When you and I seem to be at our weakest, at our least, at our most meager place in life, it's then that God has the greatest opportunity to show himself strong and to do his greatest work. Jesus took that meager meal. He blessed it. He miraculously multiplied it he fed the entire crowd with plenty left over now think again of the vast contrast that we've seen between the all-encompassing darkness of first Samuel and the solution that God provided by way of a little boy dressed in the garments of a priest just learning how to minister in the in the tabernacle it reminds me of the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9 The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, for unto us a child is born. And we go, what? To human reasoning, it, it, it seems like the least appropriate solution. What good is a child in such desperate times? How in the world is an infant going to save us? And we answered that in our Christmas series. We might look at Samuel, that young boy ministering in the tabernacle, and think, what good could a little boy possibly do in such troubling times and against such overwhelming odds? After all, he's only a boy. And in fact, Samuel's tenderness and innocence are actually highlighted for us in this beautiful verse that just warms my heart, 1 Samuel 2, verse 19 and Samuel's mother used to make a little robe for him. I, I just love that, a little robe. Isn't that beautiful? Used to make a little robe for him and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. I mean, it's, it's such a sweet, heartwarming picture of innocence. But in our human reasoning, we would say, it's hardly what the nation needs right now. And I'm sure everyone watching Samuel's mom bring him that little coat every year, probably thought, oh, how cute. But it's almost certain that not one of those people looked at that little boy and thought, there's God's solution to our dilemma. No one. Yet it was through that little boy that God was shining a light into the darkness. And as the religious system around him and the nation itself continued to slip into moral decay. We're told that the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. And as we get to chapter 3, verse 1, we're given yet another contrast between Samuel and the conditions around him. And this is the part I was referring to at the opening that really just puts a, a knot in my stomach and a lump in my throat. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were not many visions. And here's something we must not miss. At this time when the word of the Lord was rarely heard, religious practices were still taking place. To put it in modern day terms, people were still going to church. The religious routines were running like clockwork, but God was not involved in it at all. And you fast forward to the book of Malachi where God says, I wish someone would just shut the temple doors and stop lighting useless fires on my altar. Don't ever forget, folks, religious systems usually live on long after they're dead. How does that happen? Verse 1 of chapter 3 gave us the key. It happens when people get their eyes off the Word of God. It happens when the Bible is put aside in favor of programs or convenience or tradition. It happens when pastors stand up every Sunday and give a beautifully worded talk to their congregation, but they never once open the Bible. You say, that doesn't go on in church. Boy, you need to to visit around. I remember two funeral services I've been to over the years. Of all things, two funeral services. They had these lovely, well thought out, eloquently worded speeches by the pastor, and not one verse of scripture was shared. At a funeral, and I left, feeling empty and cold and depressed because it was just empty routine. Oh, it was in a church building with church pews and hymnals and stained glass windows and a steeple and all that stuff. But God was nowhere to be found. His word was not spoken. and When the word of God stops being proclaimed so that people can be instructed by it, and guided, and convicted, and corrected, then that group, or that church, or that denomination, or that country is headed for disaster. They're headed for spiritual and moral collapse. And that's precisely where Israel ended up here. And what was the real cause of the problem? I say it now for the third time. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There were not many visions. And it's against that backdrop of silence, it's against that backdrop of the absence of the presence of God that the rest of chapter 3 takes on such meaning and significance. Because you see, the the author has pointed out the absence of the word of God so that he can now draw our attention to, to the arrival of the Word of God, into that deafening spiritual silence. And as we see how God's Word had been missing, we now see how God's Word was once again heard, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2. It says, At that time, Eli was lying down in his place, and his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Boy, I ponder that phrase so much. I know it's talking about a physical lamp in the temple that we read about back in Exodus and Leviticus, but the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Verse four, then the Lord called to Samuel and he answered, here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. Now let me pause here real quickly. And address that what what in the world does that mean well interestingly enough that same phrase is used back in chapter 2 about Eli's two sons if you look at chapter 2 verse 12 it says now the sons of Eli were worthless men they did not know the Lord now let's be careful here it's not saying they didn't know about the Lord They most certainly did know about the Lord. They were priests in the temple. They knew all about the Lord. But they had no relationship with the Lord. And the difference between Eli's sons and Samuel is that Eli's sons did not know the Lord, but it says of Samuel, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And there's the difference. Eli's sons didn't want to know the Lord. But Samuel did, and he was moving in that direction. Because listen, God always saves those who call upon him by faith. The problem was not that Eli's sons never had an opportunity to truly know the Lord and be saved. The problem was that they turned down every opportunity that God gave them to be saved. Because Romans tells us that everyone who's ever been born, in some way or another, knows the truth. And they have a chance to accept it or reject it. And the terrifying truth is a person can reject God and reject God and reject God until one day their heart becomes hardened and they don't even care about hearing his voice again. That's why I would plead with you to listen to the warning in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7 today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And that's what has taken place here in this chapter. Eli's sons have repeatedly refused to actually know God. And in response to that, they are wasting away in their sin. But little Samuel longs to know God. And in response to that, God now begins to reveal himself to Samuel. So let's pick up again in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, And the Lord came and stood. Interesting. And called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And in the four verses that follow this, God gives Samuel this awful message of judgment that Samuel has to now go and deliver to his boss, if you will, Eli. Young Samuel has to tell Eli that God is going to destroy his family. And right here, Samuel has just been given his first test as a prophet of the Lord. Will he be obedient and say everything that God told him to say, or will he choose to hold back and soften the message? Verse 15, so Samuel lay down until morning, And opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. It's interesting. It says Samuel laid down until morning, but it doesn't say he slept. And I imagine he didn't sleep at all. We've all had those nights where our hearts were so troubled we couldn't sleep. We've all had those mornings where the thing we had to face that day was so daunting that we almost couldn't drag ourselves out of bed. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli this awful news, and understandably so. But here's the key. He obeyed God and did it anyway. And folks, that's what courage looks like. That's what real faith looks like. You see, courage is not the absence of fear, as someone said. Courage is doing the right thing in spite of fear. So Eli, interestingly enough, Eli said to Samuel, now the next morning, knowing that God had spoken to Samuel during the night, Eli said to Samuel, tell me everything God told you to tell me. Don't hold anything back. That's exactly what Samuel did. And that one initial act of obedience to speak God's truth became the foundation upon which Samuel was firmly established as a prophet, both in the eyes of God and in the eyes of people. We see this towards the end of the chapter in verses 19 and 20. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. What a statement. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Verse 21, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And as this chapter closes, we see one final contrast, and this is the best contrast of all. This chapter opened in verse 1 with the grim news that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. It's as though God was nowhere to be found. But the chapter closes with the glorious news that the Lord appeared again and revealed himself. How how did he reveal himself? By the word of the Lord. All because God found one faithful person who was eager to listen and willing to obey. The drought of not hearing from God's word was suddenly broken. And God spoke and made his presence known once again. And I have to think how, how blessed Israel was that God sent his prophet Samuel to bring his light into their darkness. But I also have to think how much more you and I are blessed today. We don't have to pray and hope and wait and long for God to send a prophet to us because God has already sent his prophet to us. Hebrews Chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And the light and life that God's Son brings is available to everyone who will turn from their sins and call upon him for salvation. I wonder if you've ever done that. Have you ever come to the place where you have recognized your lost condition before a holy God? That you are a sinner and your sins have separated you from God forever. and You've repented of your sins and you've believed on the Son of God. Who died and took your place on the cross. And received the salvation that he offers to all who will believe. Man, this chapter starts out dark. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. What a horrible time that must have been. And it seems dark, it, it seems hopeless, and yet God brings a little boy into the scene through whom he will change everything. Before the chapter is over, the word of the Lord is heard once again. Hey, can I just say on a personal note to you If you have been at a place in your life where you feel cut off from God, you feel that you're living in deafening silence, God is ready to bring his word into your world once again, into your circumstances once again. You simply need to call out to him, and he will, as he did to Israel, come and revive you and bring his word into your life again. From this place here, this moment in history, God used this young boy, Samuel, to create a turning point in the narrative of Israel, and we'll see that in the coming weeks. I thank God so much for young Samuel, who was willing to stand for the Lord when all those around him had turned away. May that be true of all of us. You've been listening to a broadcast from Life Point Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. of my heart I want to see you I want